your Twitter hand Twitter handle is Dare to Sure. Dare to Share. Okay. <laughs> that was it's <laughs> yeah. It's Dare to Sure. <laughs> dur to dur. <laughs> that works also also acceptable. Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of those academic discoveries and innovations that sound very impressive, but somehow never actually seem to touch our lives. And we want to dig into some of those and figure out what it takes to make those amazing things become actual things. Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska in Omaha. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by... Tyler Schur. Say hi, Tyler. Hi, Charlie. Tyler works as a licensing man, licensing agent, I guess, at the at our office. Also joined by Joe Rungi. Say hi, Joe. Hi, Charlie. Joe is a patent lawyer in our office, and uh, Joe has become custom for you to deliver a very special message to yes. our listeners. Please rate the podcast and please leave a review. Also, please be sure to subscribe to us. We've got a lot of cool stuff we're talking about. And we want to talk as many people as we can. That's right. And uh, so... By helping us spread the word, we can tell more people about these untold stories of academic innovation. Um, okay, I think it's about time that we went over uh, something that you hear a lot about. I guess maybe it's a, I don't know, I, picking winners and losers. I just put it out there that way. Uh, it's not the, I, what's, I, what's your deal? I, I don't know about that, Charlie. You don't I, want to talk about picking? I, I don't. I, all right, I fine. Don't know about all right, before you have a. <laughs> Let me break uh, something. Just calm down. I got, I got something else that's been on my mind too. Oh, um, my goodness. There's, uh, what's it's, I guess it's a, the kind of a catchphrase of today: personalized medicine. You know, I mean, you hear about these new genetic biomarkers that are discovered. Okay, so so and, wait a second. Sorry to interrupt, Charlie. Uh, what the? What's going on here? Ah, <laughs> I, I don't. All right, what? What? Yeah, so does anyone else get uncomfortable thinking about uh, the ability to patent genes? What do you mean, like your your genetic code, like your DNA? Wait, who are you, yeah. Michael Creighton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking personalized medicine, it's really cool, but we're talking about tailoring treatments um, right. so effectively they... based on an individual's unique genetic profile. Well, it sounds like, you know, onward, right? I mean, if you find out that... I mean, there's tests out there now that can to tell if you have a uh, propensity for, say, uh, I don't know, cystic fibrosis, maybe, or yeah, I think that's something we actually alluded to or talked about right. in the uh, CRISPR, so, the CRISPR episode. Yeah, and so if you discover that 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 gene, you, I guess you get a patent on that, and well, then okay. So one thing that's hard, important to keep in mind, right? Patents are really hard to get, right? I mean. I, I think the well, sell that to the, tell that to the guy who got an umbrella for a beer can patented. Okay. They don't have to be useful, right? But I mean, think about that, right? Okay. An umbrella for a beer can. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've but I have <laughs> never in my life thought. Well, let hey. me direct it to my website. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't in our show notes. <laughs> so, the the whole point of a patent isn't whether or not it's like commercially useful or even a good idea. The the point of a patent is that's novel. That's the legal requirement. It's new and useful. And non-obvious, right? And so while useful is a, a factor in there, the, the legal struggle of actually getting a patent issued is not 
demonstrating it's useful. It's demonstrating it's novel. And when you go to the patent office, the patent office will search through the other patents, search through academic literature, and basically take your invention, put all the parts of it together, and say, no, someone has already thought of this, or someone has already thought of all the different parts of this, and someone could reasonably put them together. And so the so, that, so that's like my, my genetic code is, is unique to me, right? So I couldn't I – that doesn't give me a right to patent my stuff. It's novel. So no? your genetic code in and of itself, right, that is something that is just by itself unpatentable. I can't simply discover a new gene and say I want to own that gene. But and, why? But why the rationale that? is that there is a, a, a part of U.S. patent law which decides there are some kinds of things that should be patented and some kinds of things that should not be patented. And among the things that should not be patented are things that occur naturally. And so the same reason I can't patent Charlie's genes is the same reason why I can't patent a tree I discover in the woods. I can't patent a new kind of fish because I didn't make it, right? But, but what if that fish secretes some sort of oil that cures blindness? Okay. So awesome fish. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no. I'm going to rub fish oil on my eyes. We should start with a Michael Crichton reference every time because we get all <laughs> science fiction-y. All right. So the, the anti-blindness fish, right? If I find a fish that, you know, cures blindness with its oil, right, odds are I can't just, you know, start a shack for blind people where I rub fish in their eyes. You've there's, already got the shack. I mean, there's <laughs> – To be fair. <laughs> now i got to stop my other business. Uh, no, the, 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 there's likely some need to be able to extract the fish oil to probably purify it. You know, no one wants – I mean, I, yes, I want to cure my blindness, but I, I don't want to smell like fish, right? And so the, the, the point is that you can – get additional invention, inventive steps in sort of isolating and purifying the fish oil. But there needs to be just more than sort of removing it and putting it in a bottle, right? Maybe there's a, a difficult step. Maybe the, the fish needs to be uh, prepared in a particular method in order to reliably extract the oil. Otherwise, you know, the fish is rare, whatever, right? The point is, is that that step of isolation can be an inventive step. There was, however, a case uh, related to, to breast cancer genetics, right, uh, the, the Myriad case. I don't remember the specific citation. But Myriad had a series of patents for the BRCA genes and was basically asserting them against testing laboratories, saying, no, 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 you can't use this type of gene for a breast cancer test. You have to buy our kit. Oh. Right. Not wow. like a, that's kinda, that that's, seems kind of That was not nice. a, a classy move. Yeah. And, and ultimately, the, some of their patents, <laughs> not all, but some of their patents were rejected by the courts by saying, all you did was you found, made a discovery, and then you added the step of isolating. And for those who can't see, I'm doing scare quotes. Mm. Isolating. And that's not enough of an inventive step. You're using standard methods. There's no trick to isolating this gene. You use standard laboratory protocols. No patent for you. Around the same time, there's another case. It was Mayo v. Prometheus. And this is very much a personalized medicine case. This was using how your body breaks down a medication in order to be able to find the right dosage level. And the court decided kind of the same line, saying this little method that you have based upon a genetic test, so you do a genetic test to figure out if you are a good medicine breakdowner or a bad one, and if you are a, a – and then you adjust the dosage accordingly. And what the, the patent, the, the courts decided, they rejected the patent saying that no, all you made is this discovery that this gene is correlated to this particular outcome. That means that this gene is a way to determine if you're a good medicine metabolizer or not, and then adjusting the, the, 
the okay. dose cortisone. So no personalized medicine. That's what I'm getting out of this. Well, and that's been the big problem, right? Because there hasn't been a ton of guidance since then. And so we have an ongoing technology. It's the the, the MA diagnostic kit. MA, M-A-A. M-A-A. You want to try pronouncing that word? I don't, actually. I think I'm, it's got 36 <laughs> syllables. I'm sorry, so. Jeff and Dan and, and Mike. I, I don't pronounce it well. <laughs> I mon- used to try, and it just would make it. I'm going to give it a shot. Is that, is that it? Is that so close? That. <laughs> it's ma. M A ma. The the test has been part of an ongoing research study at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, and we touched on this in a previous podcast, but it reliably differentiates people who come to the chest pain clinic that are or people who come to the ER that in chest pain that are either going to have a heart attack in near term or have stable coronary artery disease that isn't going to as likely lead to an immediate heart attack. And that's really what cardiologists need to do. This is the cool thing we talked about in a previous episode where you can either um, live live into your 90s with like angina basically or you have this unstable version of coronary artery disease. It's really important because if you are on statins, you know, you're currently kind of pegged to lower your cholesterol. And this test is is more precise. It's more personalized because now it's looking at your immune response to your atherosclerotic disease and how inflammatory your body is, which is really uh, kind of an emerging science in its own and, and a better indicator of outcome, right? And we have an issued patent on this invention in, in Europe. Uh, it's being nationalized in a couple of countries in Europe and in China. We haven't even meaningfully engaged in patent prosecution in the U.S. Because, because of this, the, right. the Prometheus so, myriad thing you're talking about? Right. They read those cases and just go, eh, this kind of looks like that same sort of thing no. Eh. Is that the legal term for it? Is that pretty much? We we you know and and what kills me right is there there is a good argument that we have. This is a very novel test, right? We have a a, a paper that we can cite which basically says no one is going to use MA to test for coronary artery disease because it's not the right marker, and and they don't care because in the end, like yes, whatever. But we don't grant patents for these sorts of things anymore. And this goes back to the original point, right? The reason I interrupt you guys, we're having a totally different conversation. This isn't even what the podcast is supposed to be about. But you guys I don't are, even remember anymore. It's like something I'm about winners and losers. Along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the point is, right, that there's already a test to determine if something is patentable or not. It's whether or not it is novel. If I find a blindness fish, I can't just patent the fish because someone can say that fish existed before and you didn't invent it. If I try to patent your genes, your genes already existed. But They're- why patent it anyway? Why, why do we need patents at all? I mean, you know, didn't, uh, what is it, Jonas Salk, did he patent the polio vaccine and that worked, right? He, that's true, but Jonas Salk didn't have an overarching regulatory scheme that requires billions of dollars to bring products to market. And so for us... Well, good for him. I t- <laughs> so we can go back to that. It was simpler times. <laughs> simpler times with polio. You know, that first vaccine's the easy one. You know, after that, you actually have to prove it works. No, I mean, I mean, I think it's worth discussing though. Why? What, so why? Why? Okay, you can't get a patent for this in the United States. So what? You can still make the thing, right? You can, but you can't take it through appropriate regulatory. T- regulatory. It takes a lot of money to make a product that touches ah. our lives. So there we go. Yeah. Who's so, going to buy this technology to push it who's through gonna development? In, who's going to invest the money to put yeah. it through if they don't get exclusivity? And right. ultimately, that was Mayo's argument. They're like, come on, right? This is a cool personalized medicine technology that's helping people's lives that wouldn't have gone to market if we couldn't have a patent. So what do you want to do? 
and maybe that wasn't the most effective argument because they, they didn't <laughs> win. But I think the thing that's really interesting is that there's a recent federal circuit case, Vanda Pharmaceuticals versus Westward Pharmaceuticals. And recent? How recent? Uh, like, this year, 2018. May. May of 2018. Thank you. Wow. And okay, so really recent. Really recent. And they are kind of making a little bit they're, – they're, they're slicing the baloney a little bit thinner. What, what they're basically saying is, okay, so very similar technology that looks at someone's genetics to figure out how they metabolize medicines – they're adding this additional step to the legal test now. They're saying, okay, yes, there is a fundamental natural discovery here, but it's confined to a particular application. And so that's opening this oh, idea to say okay. that, okay, there is a broader discovery here, but are you kind of just taking part of this discovery? Are you applying it in one particular way? Are the steps for the application going to be sufficiently novel or non-obvious for you? So, to so if you have this just... Uh uh, like a loaf of bread, say, and you pull out just a single slice of that, right. and you claim that little, that one piece, that right. one slice. Okay, you're not precluding an entire field of science. You know, okay. for the MA test is a good example. MA is an inflammatory marker. It's relevant in all kinds of different diseases. Mm -hmm. We have found a particular matrix to apply to coronary artery disease. So and that's the novel so part that you can claim. And that's what we've been arguing with yeah. the okay. office. So, there, so there'd be a very good reason to prevent you from claiming all applications of that. Uh, that uh, naturally occurring right. uh, gene. Or so that's great. So now you can have give a way of finding out that like in your 20s or 30s even, right. saying, you know what, you have this biomarker that tells you that you have a propensity for unstable coronary artery disease, and you probably have it anyway because it's just part of the human condition. Right. So you probably start a course of treatment even before. You might not even have high cholesterol, right? Right. So start, you know, start giving that person aggressive statin treatment. Right, because it's worth the side effects because it'll keep their, you know, coronary artery disease from progressing as quickly. Because that unstable version can be like that sudden but coronary. But like more importantly, right too, that fundamental discovery—that it's the inflammatoryness of it, not necessarily the physical blockage in your heart—that opens up different ways of treating the disease as well. So maybe we'll find something better to treat them with than than with statins. Mm. But the the point is, is that we're not simply trying to own the discovery. We're applying the discovery towards a particular product that has a particular market that we can build investment around and, and bring something to market that will touch people's lives in a really profound way and still leave enough of the discovery for other people to use. And yeah. the, the cool thing is that this this Vanda the case is giving a legal test to really be able to to slice the bread or bologna or whatever it is we're slicing up. Okay. The so how far pizza. away now now that if, if we have a I guess a light at the end of the tunnel here for this thing being getting protected. Yes. So now we can protect it. Now we can sell it. Well, we have a really great licensee we've been working with. Who, oh, okay. Who, who is, has kind of found a business model to work around the patent situation. So we're well ahead of that. So that I'm pleased about. But all that means is that we can kind of open up another route to bring different kinds of products to market if that patentable test is or if that patent is allowed in the United States because that adds more value to what they're trying to do in a pure economic sense, which helps us aggregate more investors, which helps this become more than just a really cool research study at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. It allows it to become a product that anyone can use in their laboratory. Okay, so in the sunshiny rainbow um, unicorns land of perfectness, how, how, clo how close are we to actually seeing this happen? Where, where's the technology... What kind of timeline are we looking at before you – I mean, it's a simple blood test, right? I mean, it is. But in order to be able to bring the simple blood test to market, we'll either need to figure out a, a kind of direct business model where people can send in samples to a laboratory here, or we'll need to be able to go through FDA and prove to them 
that our results are repeatable. And so that, that one is further away, but mm -hmm. it's not even feasible unless there's ability to return that investment to do the initial study. We may so. be closer on the former. Okay. Stay tuned. All right. Well, on that note, I think it's time we come to ground on this one. Um, thank you for joining us. Be sure to uh, rate the podcast and subscribe. Uh, you know, we will include program notes. And in, in the program notes, we will include uh, the, tech, the today's feature technology, the MAW technology. So there will be some uh, links to that. Might even include some links to some of the case law that Joe is citing. But no. <clears throat> we don't want to encourage him, so we might not do that. At any rate, thank you for joining us. Um, Charlie Litton for Tyler Scher and Joe Runge. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next time on Innovation Overground.